Today we have Brian, Jehu, and myself, Johan, at the table to talk about this mysterious term, FOTB, that is so prevalent in the prayer room. Of course, I'm talking about friends of the bridegroom. Of course. Of course. Whether or not you're familiar with the term or not, there is an endless ocean of deeper understanding that will fascinate us and cause us to fall deeper in love with the sun. So we want to dive deeper into what it means to be a friend of the bridegroom. Not father of the bride. Not father of the bride. Different FOTB. This is the Burning Rooms Podcast. Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect you to the prayer movement in Canada and beyond, where we have the conversations and share the stories that strengthen your corporate and your personal prayer life. Yes, and you as well. My name is Johan. I'm Brian. I'm Jehu. And today, you heard what we were talking about because I talked about it at the beginning. But before that, we were kind of having a conversation about what we were doing after we record this podcast, because we often record several episodes at once, and you know, we want to go do something else afterwards. It's not usually bedtime yet. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. So, (laughs) we got a Jets playoff game, COVID hockey, you know, we got a Jets playoff game starting right about now. That will probably go finish off after recording this podcast. But Brian, you had different plans, didn't you? Yeah, well, I definitely want to watch some of the game. But yeah, I'm going to go get a good workout in after. And so what do you do to motivate? Like, personally, if I'm going to go suffer on the exercise bike, I need something to motivate me. I'm an audiobook listener. That tends to be my uh, tool of choice. But you were mentioning something a little bit earlier. Yeah, I. for me, it's like 90s Christian metal. I mean, early 2000s late 80s kind of stuff but yeah 90s christian metal uh you had one here we're just gonna pre-roll it and see if the audience uh, can recognize oh, it's, it's copyright though i don't know we can get away with 10 seconds oh no that's n- not true no one's listening to this one though that's these, not true we'll guys, put it in the show notes you can go check it out yourself these guys won't be listening to it so with my podcast knowledge and my knowledge of copyright infringement uh, i chose not to play this audio for you but you can find what audio we're talking about in the show notes Basically, what you're missing is some heavy metal Christian music, which sounded like a squirrel being thrown into a blender. Now, back to our conversation. I apologize for that. You but, know, what, are you, what are you apologizing <laughs> for, man? Don't you want to get swole, bro? Although, just so you Still know, that, lift some weights. that 10 second thing is uh, it's bogus. That was Strong Arm by The Advent of a Miracle. No, Advent of a Miracle by Strong Arm. This is how much I know. Which is a very appropriate band when you're working out. Although even better, strong arms, I guess. What do you but you do? just get one strong arm listening to these guys. What do you do on leg day? Leg day? Who does lug? Okay, I, I sense a good segue here. This is a conversation that we have amongst friends. Do we have this conversation with Jesus? I mean, we're talking about friends of the bridegroom today. Let's get this conversation underway. I'm saving our audience from talking any further about this. We haven't got to Striper yet, though. <clears throat> I saw them in concert once. Me too. All right. We're done talking about it, though. It was pretty sweet. Pretty swole. Okay, we're talking about friends of the bridegroom. Uh, to set us up our conversation to set up our conversation today, Brian, why are we having this conversation? 
I think for me, one of the one of the big questions I've been asking in this season is, what is it going to take to wake Canada up? You know, when I, I look about kind of as we've tried to walk through this this COVID season and so many places, so many churches even, it seems like their main concern is when can things get back to normal? And no one's really asking, or very few people, at least from what I see, are asking, what is the Holy Spirit saying in this hour? And and it, it just kind of makes me wonder, as someone, and, and we're all we're all into the prayer movement here in this podcast, and so we're praying for revival all the time. And if if something like this can't wake us up and have us pursue the Lord with deeper passion and asking what's going on, then what's it going to take? And and obviously we know that prayer is one of those things, that that's why we pray. We pray for revival. God, awaken the church, awaken your people. But but there's, a, there's another aspect as well, and that's what we want to focus on. This term, friends of the bridegroom, these people who are close to God's heart, I believe the Lord wants to raise up voices of awakening in this generation. And so that's what we're going to talk about. I mean, we've, we've heard the term used casually throughout Christian culture. Oh, I'm a friend of God. There's even songs out there like that. So it's been a couple of years, uh, but the Lord actually directed our internship team to really push this friendship piece forward. We are promoting it as a season of going in deep relationship with friendship with God. And shortly after that, the Lord really gave us a few tools in our praying community. What really brought us into a deeper friendship into Jesus and Bible meditation was one of the key things. Uh, we did it in our house group. We did it as a, as a staff and really found ways to interact with the Lord in a different way than what we were doing before. Uh, but I don't think John the Baptist, who is kind of our poster boy for Friends of the Bridegroom, right? Would you would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. He's right on that poster. <laughs> I mean, I was listening to another podcast the other day. I was editing one, actually. And uh, this one guy was talking about how, yeah, John the Baptist is the poster boy for Friends of the Bridegroom, but we don't really know much about him. There's like 30 years of his life that is missing from scriptures. He's, it's like he's, he's born and then he's in the wilderness and all of a sudden he's announcing like Jesus is the son of God. He's coming. Prepare the way sort of thing. So why is John the Baptist our prime example of being a friend of the bridegroom? Well, before we even get into that, Jehu, why don't you just read the the verse? So it comes to us from uh, John chapter 3, really starting in in verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. And then he must increase, but I must decrease. And so right there in the middle, we have that phrase that John the Baptist is saying, he, well, he's the friend of the bridegroom. And he stands and he hears the bridegroom and he rejoices greatly because he's hearing the bridegroom's voice. He's hearing this one. And this is where the, the term comes from. And then it really just expands us off of that. So I don't know. Can you give us even just a, a quick overview of the life of John the Baptist, Brian? Well, I think one thing that's really important to to recognize is that in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said that up until John's time, there had been no one greater born of a woman than John, like up until that time. Just like stop and think about that for a moment. You know, you think about the prophet Elijah or Elisha, you know, like the, the miracles that were released through them. Moses parting the Red Sea. Abraham, like the father Abraham. These these guys are the 
big names that we see throughout the Old Testament. There's so much about them. And Jesus says that John is greater than all of them. So right away, we know we should pay attention to this guy. We, we should pay attention because Jesus, Jesus says this about him. And I, I think about uh, one of my favorite Leonard Ravenhill quotes. Ravenhill was talking about John the Baptist, and he just makes a statement about Jesus said these things about John. And then he points out that John never did a single miracle. He never healed the sick. And he never raised the dead. And then Ravenhill goes on. And he says he never raised the, a dead person. No, but he raised a dead nation. And that, that piece is what, like, when I say it, it stirs my heart. Oh, my goodness, that John came as a voice of awakening in his generation to prepare them for Christ's first coming. He was a voice of awakening, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And so that grabs my attention. And so that's why we want to really talk about him. I just find it interesting because we don't see much interaction between John the Baptist and Jesus, actually, in Scripture, even though they're actually cousins, right? It's like cousins of the bridegroom, too, you can call it. But like, there's obviously a deep connection between Jesus and John, that John would call him friend of the bridegroom. And, and also, actually, when you read in, in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 14, Matthew 14, after John the Baptist is beheaded, right after that, it says Jesus went to a solitary place to be by himself. I imagine after Jesus hearing the news of John the Baptist being beheaded, he was probably mourning. He was probably weeping. So he wanted to be in a private place. And of course, crowds followed him to the private place. He ends up feeding 5,000 people. So like Jesus being able to do miracles in the midst of brokenness and finding out that his cousin, his dear friend, John has been beheaded. So I, I just, I'm curious to why... John is our poster boy still. Like we we don't see any interaction between John and Jesus in scripture very much. It's it's almost like, oh, that's the one. That's like we see that interaction where John points to him and says, That's the one, right? Yeah, it's it's almost like they meet in the womb and then 30 years later <laughs> they, they meet again, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, even in the gospel of John written by like John the Apostle, we have, uh, again, it's very much a setup. Like John the Baptist functions as an introduction. And then as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist really disappears. He fades away um, and isn't mentioned much again. And so in that sense, you might be tempted to say, well, maybe he plays a minor role, an introductory role. Uh, but I don't think that's the case. I think there is a lot to learn from his life and a lot to, to really establish. I mean, you can look at the book of Acts and you can say, well, Peter's initially there and then he fades from view and it's only Paul. So maybe Paul is the most important. And I just don't think that's a, that's fair. There's not a lot on John, but there's, there's enough. And I think there's enough there to stir us in the way he lived and in the message he spoke uh, to really give us something to chew on. Yeah. I'm, I'm so in agreement with what you said. And, and I'd even add, like, just even to say it in a, maybe in a slightly different way is that John understood that in comparison to Christ, he didn't have a major role. Like he had a major role. He he was used to awaken this nation. And yet when he's talking about Jesus, he's like, hey, there's one coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody. I must become less. He must become greater. And that picture of humility, of recognizing the power and glory of Christ, of not seeking to build his own ministry, not seeking to build his own empire. And when Jesus comes on the stage, like John's ministry was so, so big, so well known that in Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to Ephesus and the people he finds there have received the baptism of John. They're, they're disciples of John the Baptist all the way in Ephesus. So his reach was actually huge. He had a huge impact on people. And yet he says, 
you know, when Jesus comes on the scene, he's like, no, go follow him. He's basically dismantling his whole ministry is what he's saying. Like, don't, don't follow me, go follow him. And, and that's, that's just astounding. I love that. That's awesome. I guess we also have to ask the question then, if John calls himself a friend of the bridegroom, who is the bridegroom? Right, because John recognizes Jesus's divinity. He's one of the very few people in Scripture that actually do that. So, what was John doing in the wilderness? He was getting to know God, and he understood the divine Christ, and, and there's a connection with the divine God. So, he's in the wilderness, spending time with. It's kind of weird, like he's spending time with the divine God, which you know is is connected to the the divine Son. So, I, I think he actually built up his friendship with Jesus by spending the time in the wilderness with God because they have the same character and the same nature. So I just find it really interesting. Maybe that, maybe that's why he calls himself friend of the bridegroom. He's like, I spent time with God, so I know who Jesus is. Yeah, and I also actually love the fact as well that we don't know that much about his, his growing up years because I think if we did, we would try to imitate it. Locust? Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, I love his, I mean, his, his diet was actually his message. Which I, which I just love. There's so much, I, I, when I study John the Baptist, I'm just, even these smallest details, there is so much revelation about his ministry. And so his, his diet was locusts and wild honey. And his message was, there's coming judgment, so turn, and locusts represent judgment, but also the goodness of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. It's a wild honey. And so his, his diet is his message. I don't think I've ever put those two things together, yeah. but that's that's astounding to me right now. Yeah, I, I don't know what that says about me, like Wendy's Burgers, but... <laughs> but Well, and John, he's functioning like an Old Testament prophet. And so, so often the prophets would name their children something that had a prophetic significance. John, in this case, is, his diet is representing his prophetic message. He's saying, I am embodying this in the very act of, of eating this food. I am proclaiming the message. I mean, Ezekiel is full of, of these prophetic acts that happen. And we know that that's sometimes how the Lord uses it. He has these, these vivid pictures for us, so we, so we get it. Okay, so John the Baptist being a friend of the bridegroom, forerunner, uh, that makes sense in that time, in that age, because the Messiah was just coming onto the scene, so John was preparing the way. So why are we talking about friends of the bridegroom right now in this season? Why has this language become so so popular in, in the prayer movement, like the term friends of the bridegroom? Why have we been using it? What is the Lord doing in this season that's similar to a season of John the Baptist or a season John the Baptist had. So when we talk about how does this affect us today, I, I go to Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. And I know normally when we think about this parable, we, we think about several sets of characters. Obviously, there's, there's a bridegroom who represents Jesus. Then there's a wise virgin who represents those believers who are have cultivated intimacy with God. And then there's the foolish virgins who who could be believers who haven't cultivated intimacy with God or, or unbelievers. So we're familiar with those characters, but there's actually another character in the story that we rarely talk about. And it's probably because he just has one little line. He's just a voice or it says there's a cry that goes out, behold, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. And, and I find it really, really interesting because in this story, obviously Jesus is awake the whole time, the bridegroom, but the wise and foolish virgins both fall asleep. But this voice doesn't. This friend who's attending the bridegroom, who comes along with him, goes out ahead of the bridegroom to wake up a sleeping people and saying, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. 
And what's fascinating to me is earlier on in John, when they're asking John who he is, like, who, who do you say you are? And he's saying, well, I'm not this, I'm not, not that. And they're like, well, give us some answer. And he says, I am a voice. I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. And in Matthew 25, it's, it's a voice crying out, awake. And, I, and I, I believe that it's on the heart of the Lord in this generation, just as he did before Jesus' first coming, to raise up these friends of the bridegroom, these voices of awakening who are going to prepare the earth for the coming return of Christ. Yeah, and, and I think even, I'll pose this question to you, Jehu. What, what's significant about this language, friends of the bridegroom? It's a good question. When I, when I hear that language, to me, like you mentioned earlier, it partly defines me not by myself, but by my relationship to another. And so friend of the bridegroom is not like the Jehu ministry. It's like, I'm a friend of Jesus. That's my primary identity. I am defined by who I am friends with, by my friendship with the bridegroom. But it's also got this aspect where it feels like you have a, a special in, like a, you know, it, when somebody has a wedding and you're a friend of the bridegroom, you're excited for them. You know the story of the couple. You know, it's it's one thing to go to a wedding where you just kind of go there and you're you're a participant in the audience and you're like, oh, okay, I clap and cheer and whatever. But when you go there and you know the person and you're a real friend of that bridegroom, you know the couple's story and their journey and you have so much more celebration on that moment. You're so vested in that marriage. And so in the same way as, as Christ and the church, there's this uh, marriage uh, analogy, this, this picture, I think of it like that. You, you have this, this closeness with Jesus where you're so excited for the story that's being painted, so excited for the church, so excited for this beautiful tapestry that's, that's being woven together. I think a friend of the bridegroom would be much less critical. You know, if you're standing there being like, Oh, the church has these issues or something that wouldn't be a friend of the bridegroom's response. The friend is, is, is so excited, is loving the church and like is, is supportive of this couple. Not like, Oh, I don't know if you two should get together. She seems yeah. pretty broken. Yeah. If someone had criticized your wife on your wedding, day like the wrath of jehu would have fallen yeah they would not have been the friend of the bridegroom like yeah exactly that would not have gone over well and so i think of them as as somebody who who loves the church who loves the bride um it's tricky because they're not separate from the bride and so yeah they are the bride yeah john the baptist is the bride but he's also the friend of the bridegroom and i think that that identity there that aspect is is really key that's good yeah we're not just a friend of god not just a friend of jesus but the language is bridegroom, right? So John recognized that there is a wedding coming, that there is a day when the bride would be with its bridegroom and he's a friend of that bridegroom. <laughs> I want to be a friend of the bridegroom, but I'm also the bride. So there's a weird paradox there too. Why don't we talk about that? Like we are the bride, right? But we're also friends of the bridegroom. I just I just love that we get to be both. I, I really do because to me, being the the bride, I, I go back to Song of Songs, and it's like, oh my goodness, the the revelation of the tenderness and kindness of God's love for me. I could I could just soak in that book all day long. It is so filled with revelation of all oh, the 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 mercy and kindness and goodness and love of Jesus. You, if you study through this book, it's like over and over and over again. In every season of her life, he just keeps telling her, you're beautiful. You're flawless. There's nothing, there's no 
oh, there's nothing wrong with you. It's like, I just, I just love you. Even when she knows that she's messed up, she's coming to my messed up. And he's, he's like, oh, but I see your heart leaning towards me and you're beautiful. So I love that component. And the friend of the bridegroom component to me in many ways is I get to invite other people into that same relationship. I get to tell them about the glory and the splendor and beauty of Jesus. But I can't do that if I don't understand it for myself. So you have to start with this revelation of him as a, as a bridegroom. But once you, once this starts to, to land even a little bit in your heart, there's a part of you who's just like, okay, I want others. I want others welcomed into this relationship because this is unreal. And, and I love that it's not the business associate of the bridegroom, right? Like I, I love that component because as, as someone personally who does some traveling speaking and stuff, you can easily get into this idea of, I don't know, it can be about you. It can be about your ministry. It can be about what you're, what you're building. But that John's heart was just completely different. No, he was, first of all, he understood the love of God for him, but then he was a friend of the bridegroom. So his whole ministry was never, ever, ever about him. And it was always about pointing someone towards Jesus. And so I, I just think it's such a beautiful thing. I've been reading through an Isaiah commentary recently, and the more I look at it, it almost seems like John the Baptist gives us a New Testament picture of what it looks like to be a prophet, what it looks like to hear the voice of the Lord and then to call others to that reality. And so in in our context, we're not necessarily expected to call the nation of Israel to repent. That's not our specific focus, but we're called to be a voice that calls others to say, hey, this is the bridegroom. He is beautiful. He is glorious. We need to align ourselves with him. And it's really that same call that the prophets are giving. Turn and repent and see the merciful, beautiful, glorious God. And to see John the Baptist doing that, to see him being successful, to see him really, like there are people who hear that and who turn and repent. And it's just amazing to see that New Testament witness. For me, it's it's so encouraging. I love it. I love the life of John the Baptist. I want to continue to dig into that and see how I can not emulate him, but how I can learn from him and to be a friend of the bridegroom, to be one who points others to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Like you're saying, Brian, we have that bridal reality. We know and we love Jesus and we we receive from him, but then there has to be the outflow. There has to be the response of, Others need to know this too. Others need to receive this revelation too. And I think that friend of the bridegroom piece is just such a helpful language for that, such a helpful way of describing it. You're not you're not beating people over the head with some Jesus or gospel or repent message. You're saying, I'm a friend of this bridegroom. Come meet him. Come and see the beautiful bridegroom. That is such an invitation that's so inviting. And I just love that language that it makes it feel like a real invitation. I think we could probably say that everybody to a degree is called to be a friend of the bridegroom. But I also believe that the Lord is raising up a generation right now. He's stirring those ones that would carry the life message of John the Baptist that would say, prepare the way for the Lord is coming. And I think even some of those listening, your children, this is their calling. And they are being raised up for this right now. And the Lord is doing something in their hearts, even stirring things right now that this is going to be their life message. Brian, can you pray for those that are being stirred by this right now? And even those who have children and they feel this might be something for the kids like. So, Father, we ask that in this day you would raise up true friends of the bridegroom. God, I ask that you would take men and women, young and old, God, into the wilderness of encounter with you. 
Lord, that we would feast on your word, that we would feast on, on the knowledge of who you are, that our hunger would grow, our passion would grow, Lord, that, that you would raise up a generation that would not pursue a ministry, but they would pursue a man, Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God. And Lord, I ask that out of that place of intimacy with you, out of that place of deep friendship, God, not for the sake of, of building a ministry, but because you are the most glorious God there is, I ask that out of that place, you would raise up voices of awakening. God, even young ones, Lord, ones who are five, six, seven, I ask God that you would begin to encounter them with the reality of who you are in a deeper way and draw them away into the place of encounter with you. And I ask that in that place, you would release the word of the Lord and that you would raise up ones who would thunder your message, but who would cry out to this generation, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. Amen. That's good. So even as you pray that, I just, I think we want to talk a little bit about what it actually looks like to walk it out. Those that are listening, they might be stirred, but they don't know, okay, how do I actually walk out being a friend of the bridegroom? How do I train up my children to be friends of the bridegroom? You guys have any advice for that? Any practical things that they can do? I think I just think of Luke chapter 3, where it talks about how all these different leaders are, are leading in the land. And in that same time, the word of the Lord came to John the Baptist in the wilderness. That John was in the place of encounter with God. And if you feel a calling on your life to be a voice of awakening, if you feel a calling on your life to be a messenger in this generation, the primary wisdom piece I would give is get alone with God. I mean, still be in community, do all those things, but open your Bible and just begin to feast on the knowledge of God and just give yourself to it. And the Lord is going to speak to you. The Lord's going to encounter you. The Lord's going to do what, he's, what he wants to do. But this has to be our, our, our entryway in. It's just a simple hunger to know Jesus. And if you want to raise up kids who have this passion, my, my advice would be is just model it. Be that person, be that mom, be that dad who, when you have some free time in the midst of your crazy, busy schedules, I imagine, I, I got lots of free time. I live by myself. I'm, I can do whatever I kind of want to. But when you have time, let them see you reading your Bible. Let, the, let them see you weeping in front of the scriptures. Let them see you listening to worship music. Let them see you walking that out. And because that's going to start, so that's going to start to create that same desire in them to imitate what you're doing. And so that, that's really, I think, where it all begins. There is no blueprint, I, I don't believe, for, for becoming one of these people other than seeking the Lord with all that we have. And then he's going to do the work. He's going to speak to us. He's going to guide us. He's going to direct us. And he's going to fill us with his spirit. And I think for me, what really resonates is the line that he must increase and I must decrease. Yeah. That at the end of the day, you should not be starting your Friends of the Bridegroom Jehu ministry business card set up. Don't, don't go do a run of business cards. Don't go make a website. Um, you can make a podcast if you wanted, but really... Some pens. At the end of the day, it's about, it's about making him famous, not yourself. It's about making him increase, not you. And so... Friends of the Bridegroom shouldn't be the tagline that helps you get more followers or helps you, helps you. oh, this will be the thing that helps me click in ministry. At the end of the day, this is a reality that you're living. And if you look in the scriptures, John the Baptist, he was bold with this message and he was martyred for his faith. Like that's where this message takes so you. Good. And so it's not about getting a ministry hype from this. I think that's even, even probably a prayer that you can just introduce into your prayer life. It's like, Lord... You just need to be more and I need to be less. Increase in every area in my life. Yeah. 
And if you're not willing to spend 15 years in the wilderness first, um, that's okay. Cause the Lord will take you there anyway. <laughs> and he, uh, this is a dangerous prayer. I'm serious guys. This is a dangerous stuff. Like when you start asking the Lord, I want to be a friend of the bridegroom. He takes these prayers seriously. And I just promise you, if you put that on your heart, the wilderness will come for you. The Lord is going to bring you there, but it's going to be the sweetest place of encounter. And he's going to reform you and change you in so many different ways and, and make you into that messenger. And so, I mean, pray that prayer, pray it, but he's, he's going to do it on the inside of you. He's, he's a great leader. That's awesome. Such a great conversation about Friends of the Bridegroom. And now it's time for... Questions for the Oval Table. Today's discussion is around pacing etiquette. Most prayer rooms have pacers, of which I am the worst, or the best. I have had a lot of practice. Pacing etiquette, though, but there's nothing worse than, you know, running into another pacer or running into pacers that are not pacing with etiquette properly. What's your number one word of advice or what's your number one rule for pacing etiquette? Let's, let's phrase it that way. Let's start with uh, Jehu. My number one piece of advice would be wear shoes. I think it's important to have good arch support. You want to be pacing for a long time in the prayer room. You want to have good, comfortable shoes. Pacing barefoot, I just don't think it's a good idea. That's good. That's a good one. Okay, funny story. Once, uh, I think it was on my last trip to IHOP, I was pacing a lot one day. And so at the end of the day, I just thought, well, I'm just going to check my phone and see how much I walked 12 kilometers. Wow. <laughs> a lot of pacing. So I've done some pacing in my day. My number one piece of advice would be stay in your lane. And so when you have, when someone has been pacing in a place, this is, this is hilarious. Um, <laughs> they built up I, like- love, I love that we're even having this discussion. I'll I'm 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 get serious here. All right, now now this is a serious part of the podcast. Guys. They've been like building up like an anointing. Like a, yeah. yeah. They've been going back and forth. If you see someone pacing there like that and you come in, just understand that that's, that's kind of their lane. So it's like- As long as they're not circling, right? Just, yeah, just give them some room. Yeah. Unless you're bigger than them. In which case, just, just awkwardly stand in front of them and then it gets awkward in the room. My question is always, which side do you pass on? Because if two people are kind of pacing close to each other, do you do you kind of just stay in your lane? Or do you do kind of like the rotate so you're always passing on the right? And now there's social distancing, right? So I almost think that if you have a large enough room with edges on the outside, if, if you can get everybody spaced properly, you just get them going in a full circle around. I think we might need to change the way we pace with COVID. Kind of like a Jericho, like march around the... Exactly. I mean, you all got to be going the same amount of steps and the same pace, you know. So should we get like our, our music to kind of have like a good beat that we all walk to? Prayer room treadmills is the way of the future. It might be. been saying this for it years. Might be. I mean, my other piece of advice now, this isn't really advice. This is more of a situation. Uh, when I'm pacing, uh, try not to, you know, some some communities have flaggers. If you're a flagger, be aware of the pacers around you. Like you, your diameter on those flags is sometimes pretty large, but you got to keep in mind that there are pacers too, and pacing can be important. But what if you're flagging and pacing? What if you're flagging and pacing? That is not allowed <laughs> unless you go outside. So that's that's my that's my pacing etiquette. That's I, I got it off my chest. I'm feeling a lot better about pacing right now. Often if I actually have someone in my pacing lane for too long, I'll just go sit down. It just, I pace to stay awake in the prayer room often. It helps keep my mind clear, helps me to focus. Well, and and some so. people use the whole back 
like they'll use a whole side to pace. Like if there's someone else pacing in the same area, just cut your pacing lane in half. And then if you add a third person, cut in thirds. Then you can high five people at the end of each of your pace. I'm like a big rig though. Once I get going, I can't just stop. High elbow. High elbow. Once, once I'm going, I need, I just need to keep trucking, man. I need that. I need that wide open spaces (laughs) for the paces. Anyway, pacing is important to me. That's why we want to talk about etiquette. It's probably important to others if it's important to me because it keeps me engaged. It's all about I can't sit still. I got some ADD or something going on. So ADHD. It's the new. All I know acronym. is that moving around helps me to stay engaged. It does. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jehu. It's been a great conversation. If you want to find out more about the Burning Rooms podcast, visit our website at burningrooms.ca. You can also visit us on social media, the Burning Rooms podcast or Facebook. I, the first one was Instagram, not just social media. I don't think there's a program called social media. Facebook, Burning Rooms Podcast. And you can email us at burningroomspodcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of ARC Podcasts and edited by ARC Podcast, which is also me, at arcpodcast.ca. Is your name ARC? No. I just I, I have a little ARC of the Covenant on my, um, on my desk. I... Oh no, my wife said I needed to stand for something, so I just said like audio recording, recording king. So I was thinking, okay, I got a uh, I got it to stand for something, but really it's cuz I, you know, I'm I'm a David fan. I got this little Ark of the Covenant sitting on my desk. It's right beside your slingshot. I don't well, I need some locusts and a little pot of honey. I did have a I did have a David action figure when I was a kid with the slingshot and everything, but I wish I still had that. Anyway, thanks for listening to this podcast. It's been great. We'll see you next time. Until next time, my name's Johan. My name's Brian. I'm Jehu. And this has been the Burning Burning Rooms Rooms Podcast. Podcast.